Chapter 40 of History of the Norwegian People, Volume 1 by Knut Gershet. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 40 The Norsemen in the Hebrides and in the Isle of Man. During the great invasion of the British Isles in the early part of the Viking Age, the Norsemen took possession also of the Isle of Man and of the Hebrides, which they called Sudriar, Southern Islands, because they lay south of the Orkneys and the Shetland Islands. The story of the Norse settlements in these islands is imperfectly told in the sagas, and but little is known of their history. The Landnauma book states that King Harald Horfagra sent Ketil Flatnev to the Sudriar to win the islands from some Vikings who had established themselves there. Ketil subdued the Vikings, but made himself ruler of the islands and paid the king no taxes. According to the Lachdula saga, Ketil Flatnev, Herse in Romsdal in western Norway, had to leave the country because he would not submit to King Harald. He became a man of great power and influence in the island colonies, and his daughter Aud married King Olaf the White of Dublin. On his expedition against the Vikings, King Harald Horfagra also subjugated the Hebrides and the Isle of Man, and many of the leading men of these islands fled to Iceland. Among those who emigrated to Iceland at this time was also Ketil Flatnev's daughter Aud, widow of King Olaf the White. It appears that King Harald's successors did not maintain the suzerainty over the distant possessions of Man and the Hebrides. Professor P. A. Munch thinks it likely that the islands for a time were a part of the dominions of the Norse kings of Dublin. But from the middle of the 10th century we meet with the independent kings of Man and the Isles. Among the names of these are Ragnvald, Harald, Gudrud, Olaf, and Marcus. After Olaf Kvarn was driven away from Northumbria in 952, he seems to have remained for some time in the Isle of Man or in the Hebrides before he gained the throne of Dublin. About 970 Marcus, son of Harald, became king of Man and the Isles. He is mentioned in 973 as one of the eight kings who at Chester did homage to Eidgar, king of England, and rode him in his barge to and from church on the River Dee. He took possession of the island of Aniskateg at the mouth of the Shannon, and delivered from captivity King Ivar of Limerick, but he was defeated and slain by Brian Boroma in 976. He was succeeded by Gudrid, who seems to have been his brother. Gudrid captured Anglesey on the Welsh coast, which now received its Norse name. In 980, Sigurd Ludvesson, great-grandfather of Torvinar, became Jarl of the Orkneys. He was ambitious to enlarge his dominions, and succeeded in capturing Caithness, Roy, Murray, and Argyll in Scotland. He also extended his sway over the Hebrides, which hitherto had paid taxes to the King of Norway. These islands were now ruled by a tributary Jarl, Gili, who had married Sigurd's sister. Sigurd Lodvesson acknowledged himself the vassal of Haakon Jarl in Norway, and later of King Olaf Tryggvesson, but when Olaf, in the year 1000, fell in the Battle of Svolder, he seems to have remained wholly independent till his death in the Battle of Klentarf in 1014. His four sons now divided his possessions, but no mention is made of the Hebrides. Thorfinn Jarl, the youngest son, became even more powerful than his father. He lived longer than the other brothers, and finally united the Orkneys, the Shetland Isles, the Hebrides, and large parts of Scotland under his rule. He died in 1064. Gudrud Crowen, son of Harald Svarta of Isle in the Hebrides, was the founder of a dynasty which ruled Man and sometimes also the Hebrides for about 200 years. He took part in the Battle of Stamford Bridge, and after the defeat he fled to the Isle of Man. After several unsuccessful efforts he finally conquered the island in 1079 and made himself king. On his expeditions to the British Isles, 1093 to 1103, King Magnus Barefoot of Norway again established Norse suzerainty over these island possessions, 
but the ties between them and the mother country were henceforth gradually weakened, and in 1266 King Magnus Lagerbotter ceded the Hebrides to Scotland for a money consideration by the Treaty of Perth, but their ruler, who bore the title Lord of the Isles, was still almost independent. Man passed in course of time under English control. In 1405, King Henry IV of England granted the island as a fief to Sir John Stanley. In 1825, it came under direct control of the English crown. The Hebrides and the Isle of Man constituted together the bishopric of Sodor and Man, which was joined to the archbishopric of Nidaros in Norway when this was created in 1152. The Norsemen found in Man and the Hebrides a dense native population, which never entirely disappeared during the many centuries of foreign occupation. The remarkable mixture of Norse and Gaelic names on these islands attests to the gradual amalgamation of the two peoples. Many of the islands of the Hebrides group have Norse names, easily enough recognized still through the endings A or A, equals Norwegian Ø or Ø, Old Norse A, island. Wie is derived from Norse Vie, holy island, Vist from Vist, dwelling, Gige from Gude, island of the gods, Lewis from Lyothus, Erikse from Erikse, Grimise from Grimsey, Trode from Tronsei, Ulva from Ulvse, Sanda from Sande, Flada from Flati, Heist from Hester, i.e. the horse, etc. In Lewis, four-fifths of all place names are Norse. In the southern islands, the proportion is smaller. The blonde type prevalent in many districts, the temperament of the people, and many customs and traditions still existing among them clearly bespeak their Norse origin. After the Hebrides were ceded to Scotland, the Gaelic population again increased in the islands, and the Norse language has long since disappeared, but a vague tradition still exists among the people that their ancestors came from Lachlan, Norway. In the Isle of Man, the Norse influence is still more clearly seen in the names, speech, and character of the people. In stories and fairy tales, the Manx have preserved a multitude of interesting reminiscences of their Norse ancestry. A number of place names in Man have the Norse termination B, Old Norse Beer, Bur, dwelling place, as Kirby from Kirkby, Dalby, Yorby from Ivarby, Solby, etc. The suffix Garth, Old Norse Garther, dwelling place, is found in Fishgarth, in the names of fjords, mountains, promontories, bays, valleys, etc. The Norse forms are strongly represented, which is shown by endings like Wick, Old Norse Vik equals bay. Fell, Old Norse Fell, Fjall, equals mountain, and Way, Old Norse Vagar, equals fjord or bay. Thus, Ronald's Way from Ragnvald's Vagar, Fleshwick, Garwick, and Snæfell. Of special interest are the various rune stones and stone crosses of Norse workmanship found in the Hebrides in the Isle of Man. Prior to the arrival of the Norsemen, a number of stone crosses had been made by Celtic monks in various parts of the British Isles. These crosses are carefully chiseled and are decorated with pictures representing persons and scenes from the Bible. The Norse settlers began to imitate them, and a number of ornamented crosses of Norse origin are found, especially in the Isle of Man. They are less carefully made than the Celtic crosses, but there is a variety of new ideas in the designing of ornaments, and the pictures generally portray scenes from Norse mythology and tradition. Gaut Bjornsson is mentioned as the first representative of this art in man. The inscriptions, which are always in the Norse language, are usually short and present a strange mixture of Christian and pagan ideas. 
Alexander Bugas says that these runic monuments show more clearly than anything else that the Norsemen and Celts in the Isle of Man dwelt peaceably side by side, that they intermarried, and that they mutually influenced one another. We can observe not only that men of Norse descent had Celtic wives, but that men with Celtic names erected crosses with pictures representing the gods of the Asa faith and heroes of Norse tradition. The government of the Isle of Man is still, in its essential features, a continuation of the Norse institutions established by the Viking colonists. The governor is the representative of the crown, and the chief executive. The lawmaking assembly, called the Court of Tinwald, Tinwald from the Old Norse Thingvaller, consists of two chambers, an upper house, the council, consisting of the governor, the bishop, and six other leading officials, and a lower house, the House of Keys, consisting of 24 members chosen by popular vote. Until 1866, this house was self-elective. When a member died, a new member was chosen by the house. The members are called keys because at the time when the laws were yet unwritten, they should keep the words of the law in their bosoms and maintain law and justice. The court of Tinwald meets at Douglas, the capital city, but all new laws must be proclaimed on Tinwald Hill, Thingfoller, near Peel, the old capital. This hill was constructed by the early Norse settlers for this purpose. Around it lies a level plain where the people could assemble. The governor and the lawmaking assembly meet here every year, and after religious service has been held, they are escorted by soldiers to the top of the hill. The governor is seated on a chair with a drawn sword before him, and the court is formally opened. The House of Keys is clearly a continuation of the Lagretta of the Old Norse Thing. The Lagretta, which prepared all decisions and other measures to be voted on by the assembly, sat in a circle hedged in by ropes, the Vebond, or sacred cords, inside of which no strife or disturbance was tolerated. When the court of Tinwald has assembled on Tinwald Hill, the coroner still proclaims the peace by declaring loudly, I fence the court. The two deemsters, thought by some to be Old Norse Domstjori, or judges, are members of the council. Till in the 11th century they judged according to unwritten laws called the Brest Laws, of which they were the depositaries. We observe again how the Norsemen, whenever they founded colonies, whether in Man, in France, or in distant Greenland, established a system of laws and government of a high type, and maintained order and justice, and an efficient administration of all public affairs. Their government, though not truly representative in form, approached so near to it in spirit that we feel the popular will and sense of justice expressed in their laws, and in the legal decisions rendered by the thing. It was their talent for organization, and their sense of legal justice and good government, as much as their enterprise in navigation and commerce, which enabled them to establish the Norse colonial empire at this early period. End of chapter 40.